0: <laughs>
1: uh, I don't know how many weeks. It, I think it's like three weeks.
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: Missed three. Okay. Okay. So this is partly this is partly my fault because I keep saying let's record at eight a.m. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. it's
0: also my fault because the semester started. Yeah. And, well, you know, yes. it's,
1: And you have yeah. one of the worst telecommuting arrangements that I have heard of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I I mean, in hindsight, I should have forced you know foreseen this a lot better but good god um so for those who don't know i'm currently i'm not exactly even working on u.s time i'm actually working more like on mid-atlantic time (laughs) right i get up at noon okay i work until about 6 a.m and i go to bed
1: you get up at noon and you work at that's not mid-atlantic time not not from singapore's perspective
0: no, actually, no. You're no. right. That is a no. That is that is California time.
1: Twelve. Oh my God. Um. I can't. No.
0: No. i No. I'm no, no. My math. If you okay, okay.
1: If you are waking up at twelve, right, and yes. let's say a normal wake up time is about six a.m. You right. are on um. You are on Central Europe time.
0: I'm Central European time. That's right. <laughs> and that's yeah, you know that's because Central I have
1: Europe or Western Europe. I think it's maybe West. <sighs> is it's plus maybe. one GMT basically. Plus one or plus yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's West, Central European time because I know the Brits only really get active at about 4, 3, 4, 3, 4 p.m. our time, right? So Central European time. I mean, it's 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 mostly because I have a class at four a.m. that I you know is synchronous uh, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, right? So in order right. to I mean, there's there's two options. I can either stay up for the class or I can wake up early and one of these options is a lot easier to handle than the other.
1: I real okay, I realized I don't know what time zone New Mexico is actually in. Uh -14. Minus
0: minus, uh, is, is
1: it okay, mountain. Okay. I was like is yeah, it mountain, mountain or time. does it share a time zone with California? So no, you're one hour ahead no, yeah. head of of California. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Um yeah, so I mean for for me mine is just much more simple. It's just plain hubris, which is I have this, um, basically weekends are precious, right? Anytime you work Mondays to Fridays, weekends are precious. And, um, on weekends, my parents will go out for lunch and Mm -hmm. I wanted to join them for lunch. Right. Um, and (laughs) I also wanted to have the ability to do things on Sunday that include like going out, taking a walk, basically oh my God, walks I know such yes. a
0: precious commodity these days,
1: yeah, so <laughs> yeah, exactly, so it's like if i if we record the podcast, if I go for lunch with my parents and then we come back and record the podcast at two o'clock, then that is basically my whole Sunday, like I mean I can. Go out in the morning, right? But then, <laughs> depending on what kind of walk I want, I suppose. Like if I really want to, you know, go and walk in the park, then obviously, morning is a is a great time, right? And right. afternoons are terrible. No, yeah, yeah. But most of for my two reasons, walks, right? You know, these days it's yeah.
0: either horribly sunny in the afternoon or horribly yeah. rainy in the afternoon. So yeah. both when ways. I say it, it's walk,
1: not... right? In quotes, <laughs> my walks are in shopping malls basically all, what i want is i just want to get some steps in and i want to do it <laughs> in a relatively convenient accessible location which yes the i mean hall.
0: okay let's let's just look at our phones and see how many steps we're averaging over the last it's awful.
1: week it's awful it's awful i no i'm not going it's... to do that
0: <laughs> i'm going to do that i've
1: averaged 4000
0: steps a day 4800 steps a day over the last week um, which is, is much... only because i went bird watching on monday and tuesday
1: yeah that's more than that's more than i have cuz Monday to Friday <laughs> i did not i don't think i went out on any of those days maybe on oh friday God. i did i don't remember uh yesterday right. i clocked about 9200 steps because okay oh, that's I, pretty I did good. i i went out but then that's just making up for the rest of the mm. week so my average is less than 2000 yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, the, I, my idea was that we would record in the morning, and then I would go out for lunch with my parents, and then I would have the afternoon free to do whatever I wanted. But right. for two weeks in a row, uh, I did not wake up at eight o'clock. So, so that <laughs> it's, was. Then. I mean, you know,
0: even for 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 I, I would call myself a seasoned bird watcher. Right? Getting up at eight AM is an ordeal. Getting up a, anytime before nine is an ordeal.
1: Yep. Yep, it's terrible. So, no, anyway. but also, and I, sh- mm-hmm. I should
0: add on to my circumstances, right? Not only am I doing a synchronous class, mm-hmm. I'm doing two asynchronous classes, and I'm teaching a. I- I'm I'm the only TA for a class of 103 undergraduates. So, yay! I think I may have put myself in this shitty position. I have only myself to blame, but it is a lot to deal with this semester.
1: Yep, so. I, I mean, we are, we are, we are recording because
0: we are recording,
1: uh, which is you know, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. I think maybe a better way to put it is we are finally recording. <laughs> like, Back into yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if because this week circumstances made two p.m. the best time to record, which is what we right. had been doing previously anyway. So maybe yes. there is a sign that we should just stick to Sundays two p.m. My oh, dear God. Um, But I well, I I mean that's
0: assuming you know I don't have any more marking to do, and I'm I'm glad I managed to clear last week's marking yesterday because it was a fairly easy thing to mark. Right. Um, Um, Speaking of, I don't know how I'm going to survive the next few weeks. Yes.
1: Speaking of marking, um, especially marking when everybody is learning remotely, you had something you wanted to discuss. I
0: do. So I mean this. This has I mean you you did mention this I think a while back, and it's only really come back to my attention because of, you know, as usual, Twitter drama. Uh, Twitter drama is my whole life these days. Uh, it's the only entertainment I get, uh, you know, when I'm not working or when I'm working, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But this has been going around on Twitter lately. Um, it's this this idea about how, you know, uh, instructors are ensuring security during, you know, assessments and tests in this era of online learning, right? You know, in the past, if you were administering a test, you'd sit everyone separate from each other and you'd have uh, one or more proctors walking around ensuring no one cheats, right? But how do we implement this in the remote learning age? Is it even implementable with remote learning? And and unfortunately, it seems like many institutions, um, or at least not so much institutions but companies are coming up with solutions that require increasingly invasive techniques uh mm-hmm. to ensure that cheating doesn't occur and you know some schools are just buying these solutions yeah. you know yeah as a full package and just implementing it without actually thinking about you know what kind of effect these deeply invasive techniques are having on students, whether it even makes sense to have these things in place. So, and, you know, it's also the thing where, where you know, uh, how do you uh, how do you um, assess what a violation is? And is it shifting the way by I which, we, you know... Let, let, let's, like,
1: yeah. back up way, like, right. way up. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there, <laughs> there are a few ways to approach this. So, I think maybe I can, I can start with talking about why this even came on the mm. on my radar at least for the first time which was that um 2 months ago i did the gre and i did it at home um so as you can imagine normally when you take a standardized exam like this right you go to a testing center and they have everything set up um i okay so i i'm trying to think cuz when i took the sats which was 10 years ago it was a paper test <sighs> I, yep. I don't know about yep, n- yeah I don't know about now whether SATs are still a paper test but the GRE I believe has been computerized for quite a while.
0: Yes, right? I did the GRE. Gosh, what five years ago, and it was computerized back then as well. I had to yeah. go to some testing center in Bukit Timah, uh, sit down in front of a computer <laughs> for three hours. I think it was yeah
1: four hours. Yeah, and I mean like this is kind of an industry by itself, right? Like um, hmm. Pearson and uh, I don't know which other companies... McGraw-Hill or McGraw-Hill, yeah. Um, they have these programs, effectively, where um, in a, a business, shall we say, can set themselves up as a testing centre for tests from these companies. Okay? And um, what this is, is... Again, I don't know what your particular experience was, but actually, last year, I think, I took the uh was it last year or the year before no i think it was last year i um took the acsm um certified personal trainer test so it's acsm mm-hmm. is american college of sport medicine and mm-hmm. to do that i had to go to the testing center at ntc learning hub so oh, that's right. a pearson okay. view that's a pearson view test i believe and um, okay you you go in. I don't know if your experience was similar, but you you go in. You show them your ID, and then they're like, "Here's mm-hmm. a here's a key. Put all your stuff in the locker, right? You're not allowed to bring anything in. And yep. Um, yep. yeah, you you go in, and they're like, "Oh, here's a whiteboard marker. You can make notes on this whiteboard. Oh, really? Oh, that's more um, generous
0: than the GRE. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: I don't remember if they did a whiteboard marker thing, but basically, you don't bring in anything with you, right? Right. And then you sit in front of a computer. You do the test, and then there are cameras to kind of you know watch. There
0: are cameras. Good God! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I think I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, I there think cameras... the GRE
0: didn't have any of that. Uh, maybe maybe there was. it's just I I wasn't aware of it. You yeah. know, I I from my very hazy recall, it was just like yeah. you know they put you in a and, cubicle. Yeah, and, and you the you thing computer.
1: is, uh, NTUC Learning Hub. I mean, if you think about their actual remit, right? NTUC, National mm. Trades Union Congress. They are primarily interested in. You know anything that increases employability, right? Right. Um, and so they administer a whole range of these tests. Obviously, not just yep. the ACSM, but um, things like you know if you need um, any kind of IT certification, um, mm-hmm. any kind of like professional certification, right? Any kind of any any you know when any industry specific certifications that are administered through a test. Right, They yeah. have it and they offer it. So it's just people yeah. like coming in and out all the time. They sit down in a cubicle, they do a test, they leave. So you finish the test and because it's computerized, you kind of get a score more or less immediately. right? And then they just show you the score, you walk out, you give them the ID back, they print out the score and then you take your stuff and you go. Oh, is it so, immediate,
0: the, the scoring?
1: Um, It depends on what test you're doing. So for the ACSM, right. it was immediate. For the GRE, okay. they give you a provisional score that's immediate. Yeah, I don't know if it yeah, was because the yeah.
0: you have they have to grade the writing component, so that would take time. Yeah,
1: correct. So um, the the quantitative and verbal scores are immediate, and then the yes the um, analytical writing is graded mm-hmm. manually, and then that comes back. Um, yeah, I think like two weeks later. Yep. So, in in the case of um, the GRE. Under normal circumstances, that is what I would have done for the GRE, right? Go to a testing center and repeat this whole process. Um, Of course, with COVID, everything kind of went belly up. (laughs) And um, the GRE switched to at-home testing. Yeah. And um, I actually... Okay, well, I won't say that I preferred it necessarily but as far as digital transitions go i think the gre educational testing service rather ets which mm-hmm. administers the gre i think they yeah, actually the handled it and the sat as well yeah. sat is mm-hmm. college board right that's not ETS. oh yes
0: but i think it's is it ets that oh uh, anyway yeah it's one of several companies that, yeah, that specializing in standardized testing
1: there are there are a few of those around but um i think they actually handle it fairly well because, you know, a lot of companies, when they do a digital transformation thing, especially under duress, they just take their brick and mortar business model and they put it online.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they don't mm-hmm. really think about, yep. about what online means and what the online medium enables uh, to their credit. ETS was like, well, if we put it online, we no longer have like capacity limits at our testing yep. centers. We no longer yep. have like time limits. I mean, not time, but like you—you're not restricted to the work week, right? Yep, so when right. they put it online, they were like, "Hey, you know, uh, you, you can now do the <laughs> test twenty-four-seven. You can do mm-hmm, it on the weekends, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you can do it as short as twenty-four hours notice if you want." Oh wow! Okay, I was like, okay, well, that's actually a good sign of at least one. Someone company's who's management, thought about the process, yeah. yeah, who understands that you don't have to do things <laughs> the same way online as. You do them offline. So anyway, right? Um, the ETS, the GRE is done um, through ProctorU, or rather, mm-hmm. ProctorU is one of the pieces of software that is required for the right. at-home GRE, and it only runs on Windows PCs. This yeah. is
0: another grab I can go into later on as later well. Later on, my, yes, I remember yes. your your rent. <laughs>
1: Another rant, a recent rant <laughs> of relating my several, to yes. uh, remote learning as well. Online actually. learning, that's right, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, we're yeah. all being thrown off to depend on this, so, you know, it's... Uh... Yeah.
1: <laughs> and um, I think it this the at-home GRE requires that you have a webcam, requires a Windows mm-hmm. computer, okay, which, I mean, is not great, but again, when everything has to be done at short notice, I guess this is what you get. So, luckily, I do have a Windows laptop that I only bought like, within the last year.
0: <laughs>
1: and it's meant for gaming. Serendipitous. It's right. meant for gaming. But it turns out I have been forced to use it for other things. Um, this, is due my to circumstances, PC, this is
0: my work PC, this is my learning Mac. No, my learning PC and my work Mac.
1: It kind of is, actually. How yeah, times have changed. That's kind of my life right now. Um, so you download the software and then on the day of, okay, what they tell you is normally in the GRE, I think you would have scratch paper. Yes. Right? Yes, they do provide that. For the at-home test, you are not allowed to have scratch paper
0: because Uh, they
1: don't know what is on that paper. There is no way for them to verify that it's a clean it's a sterile exam condition, right? Sure. What so here? What you're given, what you're allowed to do is, you have, you can have a whiteboard, and um, you have to show the proctor beforehand that the whiteboard is empty and clean, and then you have oh. to show the proctor afterwards that is empty and clean. And oh my God. the reason why you not only show it at the start, but at the end, is to prevent the leaking of questions.
0: Right. Okay. That that I I can show. I mean, they have thought about this, but
1: yes. Uh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> right. Okay. And then, um, speaking of ensuring a sterile testing environment, so what happens is, on the day of, you log in, and then yep. um, there is like a chat system. Where you talk to your proctor. The okay. proctor will request for access to your machine. Jeez. And this is really remote control, okay? They can see you through the webcam, they can control your mouse, and they can control oh your God. keyboard.
0: So it's a full yes. RDP. It's a it's a it's a full uh yeah, full access to the machine. It's the, the kind yeah. of thing that hackers use to yes. Oh, jeez, Louis. Yes. And I mean, obviously... This is a security are, nightmare.
1: Exactly. Obviously, obviously, this is like extremely, extremely... I mean... it. I mean, it's,
0: problematic is an understatement in this yes, context.
1: Yes, correct. Um, so, I I have uninstalled the software. Um, although, mean, I'm... With the, going, with the way things are going, with the way things are going, I kind of expect that sooner or later, if I, you know do online classes that I will need them. I will need it again. But that's another that's another issue. So... We'll get to that. Um, yeah, we'll get... We'll, we'll cross that bridge when, when I get to it. So the proctor will control your computer and then open up the testing software. And there is um, like some key or ID or password or whatever that only the proctors know. And then they key that in. That's how you get access to the test.
0: I mean, okay. you know, it's placing a lot of trust on the proctor. Yep. I mean, yep. okay, well, is there even a reporting mechanism if the proctor does something unethical?
1: That's a good question. I do not know. All
0: oh, right.
1: right. Okay. That is a good question. Because, you
0: know, if 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 any topic, can, I mean, you know, if, if a proctor wanted to do something terrible to your computer, they could well do that. Yep. Pull up your bank account details, you know, change all your passwords.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean I don't know if there is like a kind of you know escape hatch of sorts like is there a button that you can is there a key that you can press that will basically claw back the control but then again closing the software are... <laughs> but I mean yeah obviously and obviously that would have its own set of consequences if you are doing a high yes, standardized test that's right right yep um yep. but then you are still putting a lot of trust in that so like if you if you close the software is it really closed how mm-hmm. do you know I mean all of that aside I mean
0: the only the only correct solution is a forced shutdown of the machine yes that's really
1: pretty it. much yes pull the plug yeah uh, yeah and then uh, okay so there is that but let's assume good faith on everybody's right okay part. Okay. Yes, yes. The Leaving all step, all
0: that aside as right, if it's a, trivial. Assume that,
1: assume that <laughs> the test is going as everything is supposed to the next step is that the proctor will ask for a three hundred and sixty degree view of your room. Oh, God. Okay. You hold up the laptop and then you turn around. Okay. To to basically show that everything is, you know, there is nothing um untoward in the room. There is nothing that might provide a hint or mm-hmm. God knows what, right? Then you have to angle the webcam to show that your desk is clean. It, clean, clear, I, I couldn't decide which word to use. It's <laughs> is, is clear. I th- I don't think they care that clear. much whether it's clean. <laughs> right, okay. Right, they need it to be clear. They they want to, again, make sure you have no materials there. Right, yeah. Um, then you, I don't know if you have to show the ceiling. I don't remember that, actually. Oh, jeez. Um you do have to show under your desk. You have to uh, put the webcam under your desk. There are reasons for that, which I'll get to. I I will get to. Okay. (laughs) Then, you have to use uh, either a cell phone, your cell phone, or a mirror, right, to show the proctor your screen, not your desktop screen, which, of course, the proctor can already see and control, but the physical screen. Right. And then after that, you show your proctor your mobile phone and then you put it out of reach. You show the proctor that it is out of reach of your desk. Oh boy. Okay. And (laughs) the reason that all of these things have been implemented I mean obviously some of the stuff you can see that some people sat down in a room and said to ensure a sterile testing environment we need XYZ okay some of the other stuff the reason that they now check under the table is because in the past so the proctoring um, company that is used that GR the ETS uses is um, ProctorU yes and um, in the past ProctorU has proctored an exam where an assistant sat under the candidate's desk and signaled the answers. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And yeah, and the proctor figured out something was amiss and was like, "Please show me what's under your desk." And there was a person. Right. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah. So then they put that into their standard procedure for ensuring a oh sterile God. test. Um another incident was when somebody stuck a post-it note, a crib sheet post-it note, right, um, on their monitor. Mm-hmm. And again, same thing, a proctor felt something was amiss and asked the candidate, Can you show me what's physically on your monitor? Right. Um yeah. And then they added that into the the exam setup process and everything. Um and they do warn you as well that because what gave that candidate away was that he seemed to be focused on a spot on his monitor. Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. Which which brings us I guess to, to you know what to why you brought places. it up. Right, to yeah. why I, I I got very worked up about this. So, I mean, I wouldn't yep. say worked up, but it, it it did cause me to scratch my head a fair bit. So there's been a couple of uh, screenshots circling uh, circulating around uh, Twitter, yep. you know, uh, of instructors uh, informing their students of testing policy. You know, this being about that time of the year where where I guess uh, midterm tests are starting to 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 be you know implemented.
1: That's a early midterm, like.
0: Well, it's week three for me already, you know. We had our okay. first exam for the course I'm teaching yesterday. That's fair. Yeah. Um, and one of them said, Okay, so this is it's from an it's I think this is from an email. It says, uh, you have to be in a well lit room, blah 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 blah. Um, no head covering for both males and females. This means no what I call skull caps and regular caps. A bit inexplicable, but okay. A lot of head movements and eye movements for a short time period. A student in six minutes had seven hundred and seventy six head and eye movements and another student had six hundred and twenty four eye and head movements within eight minutes. So I mean this this makes I mean, okay, this makes sense if you're approaching this from the perspective of a a testing or proctoring company, right? What metrics yep. can I use to um, to, to, to detect cheating? But the problem is do these metrics actually reflect cheating? I mean, yes, there are cases where if for example someone has a post it note physically on their on their on their screen, right? Okay, mm-hmm. you know, cheating can be detected by by eye movements. But mm-hmm. there are so many other possibilities that yeah. could lead to this, you know, this 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 situation, right? Yeah. People some some people have ADHD, some people, you know, yeah. You know, okay, not so everyone is able to focus with laser precision.
1: The the tweet that you're referring to, uh, we'll put it. We'll put like all the relevant, you know, screenshots and tweets in in the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. So this, there are there are a few things that jump out at this because what I described about GRE that is a high stakes, three and a half hour standardized test. Yes. Right. And um, what you're describing, this is testing conditions for what would be a fairly regular occurrence during the semester, either a weekly assignment or something that yeah. happens anywhere from one to four times a semester kind of assessment. Right. Right. And,
0: you know, and, I mean, to be fair, right, we're, you know, there's already enough critique of whether or not standardized tests are even a valid assessment yeah. of people's ability, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, many graduate programs are increasingly also abandoning the GRE. Yeah. Um Let's not even... I mean, we could also talk about how in the UK this year, right? The GCSE oh, was not God. administered. <laughs> and it led to another different different set of, 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 of problems. Oh my goodness, yeah. Which yeah. we can go At, into later on.
1: Later on or like anytime, really. Because I think we have plenty of... Ammunition. I have much to say about that as well. Yes. So. Um, so I think in, in the particular case, right? Of the head and eye movement thing. Um, what I'm guessing from the way that the the email was worded, is that these are not proctored assessments.
0: Right. No, there's no live proctor. It's auto-proctored in a sense.
1: Right. And the reason that... Okay, I won't say the reason necessarily, but the difference between uh, a live proctor detecting unusual movements, right, and a computer detecting or software algorithm... Detecting unusual movements is that the human, I mean,
0: has some discretion to to the you human know, has, exercise judgment.
1: Yeah, the human has discretion, right? And um, the human also, it, okay, let me put it this way: um, there are lots of reasons to move your eyes, only mm-hmm. several of which involve are cheating. Are related to cheating? Yeah. Yes. Um, Okay, so this is actually something that actually kind of make me uncomfortable during the GRE because they actually explicitly tell you that movement of eye focus away from the screen for more than a few seconds um, can be considered evidence of suspicious behavior. Good God. Yes. So they actually explicitly tell you that if we can see through the webcam that you are not Looking at your screen, you're looking somewhere else, and this happens for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. That we are going to consider that reason to investigate further.
0: And the well, thing- actually, I mean, sorry, I mean, I mean, now that we brought up the GCSE thing, in fact, this the GCS the, the the UK's GCSE uh-huh. issue in 2020 is also in in a sense a very related problem. It's depending okay. too much on automated algorithms yeah. Yeah. to. Yeah. To make really big decisions about what reality yep. is like, yep. right, so yep. uh, just for context in the u k because of the pandemic, the GCSE a levels were not admi- a levels a levels were not administered right and you know for those of you who don't who live outside the who don't live or who live in the u s right the GCSE a levels are extremely important it's the equivalent of the SATs right it determines but more what... but
1: more important <laughs> uh, but, but we'll, we'll much get back more. to that okay let me let me finish up my thought about the GRE yeah, thing first um, yes the Okay, so it's, it's awkward because when you are thinking, your eyes wander. Yes. <laughs> right? Right. Yes. And so it actually kind of interrupts your thought process to be like, hmm, I need to think about this. And then you look up. And then you're like, wait, yeah. I can't look up. And then you kind of look yeah. down. And it is a very kind of, um, it's, it's an unnatural imposition, right? It interrupts your thought process in order to, when you, when, okay, it interrupts your thought process when you're forced to observe yourself thinking. <laughs> it is a
0: deeply unnatural circumstance yes. to find yourself in. Correct. Even even Correct. considering how testing is in itself an unnatural circumstance Correct. already. So
1: I just had to kind of get over that, you know. Um, right. I just have to kind of mention that. But I think in this particular case, it is a, a key differentiator. I'm not saying that a live proctor is always going to be the solution i mean obviously Mm -hmm. it is not right Mm -hmm. but a live proctor has a whole host of experience and discretion to draw from right yeah they're also drawing from more inputs it's not just one
0: metric right you're you know you're looking at whether a student is looking down or up you know the constancy of these movements is what it's i mean it's a holistic decision to be made
1: yeah definitely and i mean there are there are just so many other um Again, we can call it inputs, right? But there are so many hmm. other things that a proctor can derive meaning from that yes. is at the moment out of reach of software and may possibly forever be out of reach of software. I mean, Correct. it depends on how you feel about algorithms, I suppose. My my yeah. personal inclination is that we will never be we will never get that 100%. Uh, like there hundred percent. Yeah, I I I think there will always be areas where a human will always have that little edge. And it maybe I mean, for proxoring, it will eventually become irrelevant, but...
0: It's that but. George Box quote, right? An algorithm is a model, and all models are wrong, but some are useful.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, a human is also it's working often wrong. on... A human is often wrong. A human often <laughs> has erroneous models, but what is yes. what's beneficial about us as humans is that we have the ability to update our models on the fly.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right. Okay, anyway, moving on. Okay, back to the back UK, to the G- right? Yeah, back so, to I mean, the, the, the
0: reason why I brought it up is also because, you know, in, what happened is that the UK cancelled the GCSE A levels They're very important. And so, mm-hmm. what ended up happening was, uh, they were, you know, like like in many parts of the world where the GCSE is administered, uh, they relied on preliminary assessments by teachers themselves. Mm-hmm right and then what the u k said was okay off call the uh, the government agency that that oversees you know standards and qualifications would then come in and moderate these self report- these self reported assessments by teachers yeah and they they said they had an algorithm for this and this algorithm would take in not just the inputs from teachers but also past performance of the schools uh from which yep. these grades are coming from you can see where you can see where the problems are starting yep. to creep in and mm-hmm. Predictably, what ended up happening was that students from less privileged backgrounds ended up having their grades de- downgraded much more than students from you know rich public schools like Eton yep. and Harrow, um, which you know and and you know the defense was oh but but the algorithm did it right it's an algorithm how can we how can we question the algorithm but that you know is really the whole point right algorithms are not unbiased in fact algorithms. Accept the bias that people who write yes. the algorithm code into it, wittingly or otherwise. Yep. And in and this I case, think... taking into account past mm-hmm. performance is a huge bias because you know you that that really factors in all the 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 the, the, the class divisions and the, you know how how well funded the school is.
1: You are effectively all that... punishing this generation of students for the sins of their their yeah. They're forebears,
0: yeah. <laughs> antecedents. There we go.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or benefiting this generation of students for the virtues of their antecedents. That's right. It's it's entrenching privilege of the right. antecedents, yeah. which runs entirely
0: counter to one of the goals of education, as you know, a, a, a factor of social mobility and you yes. know, as a, as a driver of of. And you know, the of it, sorry.
1: The irony of it is that. Um, I mean, I am not a huge fan of standardized testing, although I can see why it exists, okay? And there is the argument to be made as well that I I don't fully buy into this, but for any given student, it is possible for standardized testing to be an equalizer. And this is most often cited in the context of the US, where there is no nationally or federally mandated curriculum, Right. right? Every school every school district, rather, determines its own graduation requirements. Yep. Every university determines its own entry requirements, yep. right? And the way that university admissions, you know, has a sense of how each school, like what each school profile um, means is and is a two-part thing. So US high schools, they have a guidance counselor. The, guys, mm-hmm. the guidance counselors prepare a report Right to say, um, the average student at our school has this profile, or this is you know kind of what the demographics of our, our students look like. This is what their average GPA looks like, or the GPA distribution. This is what it looks like. This is what the average like SAT distribution, the average AT score distribution. Like basically, these are the stats of our school. Now, this yeah. is where this student stands in that context. Yeah, and that's one way for the universities to understand what the gpa means right when they are looking at a student's gpa because a gpa like a 4.0 from one school is not the same as a 4.0 from another that's right uh uh, actually a 4.0 is actually a relatively unambiguous thing it means that this student has maximally fulfilled their potential yes, at this school, but a two
0: point five to three point five. On the other hand, yeah. So if much a student, yeah,
1: exactly. A three point five from one school can be very mm-hmm. different from a three point five at another school, and how mm-hmm. the universities tell is they rely on that um, that guidance counselor report. That's one thing, and of course, on their own past right. history, right? For mm-hmm. schools that have taken students from this high school before, they know right. how students from this high school have performed in the past. The right. other factor is the SATs because the assumption is that the SATs are graded to a common standard, right? And mm. so there is this is another signaling factor, right? For um, if, if they are seeing a student from this school for the first time, they have no idea what the SAT, I mean, what the GPA stands for, right? The SAT is used as, as the benchmark. So, I mean,
0: I, I take that argument, but I have
1: many, many, I, many. No, I agree. It. I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> but the reason, the reason why I take this is because in the context of the GCSEs, right, right? That is the argument to be made for a student who comes from a school that has historically not produced strong students. Yes. Okay, to be accepted into a university that. Again, historically, their school has not sent a lot of students to because we all took the same exam and I got the same grades as so-and-so from such-and-such, you know, historically um, good school.
0: High-performing, yeah.
1: Yeah, high-performing school. Yeah, exactly. And Mm. those are the students that have been especially affected by this algorithm Algorithm. because they are the outliers that the algorithm has kind of ignored or conformed down into normalized. Yes, they have been normalized. <laughs> right? Yep. Um yep. and by far those are the ones that are um the hardest hit, I think, in terms of yes. what their actual grades and what their you know what what grade they actually received from the algorithm um yep. is which, and, I mean,
0: really, the, the broader argument that we're making here, you know, both with regard to standardized testing and proctoring and the GCSEs, is that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there is a common misconception that algorithms are unbiased. But Jesus yep. Christ, algorithms are as biased as anything else on earth. In fact, some, in some cases, more biased yep. because of the weight people place on the decisions made by algorithms and, you know, how consequential these things can be.
1: And of course the fact is um algorithms they feed back on themselves. Yes. I mean because... wasn't there this
0: famous uh a news article about how a bunch of people at Microsoft wrote a um a, a an AI and then they had the AI uh-huh. talk uh either to it, to each other or to the internet and then it would you know it would learn from inputs, right? right. And it basically just became racist <laughs> and they had to shut it oh, down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm thinking
1: more of um what's the other I can't remember what the name of this was, but it was like like the giraffe problem, the blue sky problem. Ooh. I can't remember. Okay, um, okay. I'll dig it up and it will be in the show notes. But essentially, this had to do with an um, an image recognition algorithm. And, ah, uh, okay. I think I... Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know whether it is. Is it giraffes or is it... I, I cannot remember. But basically, things that are overrepresented in one context will be tied to that context... So mm-hmm. if if you are trying to teach an algorithm to recognize images of a tank and the tank appears disproportionately in clear weather or in pictures yes. of clear weather, then the algorithm assumes that tanks are somehow associated with clear weather.
0: Correct. And it yeah. starts so to fail to recognize... So biases in your training yeah, data sets will correct. bias your algorithm.
1: Go yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think... Um, But I think this is also a case of when you don't work in the weeds of a problem, right? It's the same thing as with science. People who don't work in science or who have never um, actually, you know, dug into the scientific method as part of schooling, as part of like training or whatever, they assume much firmer conclusions about science than science actually provides.
0: Well, I mean, social science is especially guilty of this, right? If you, all <laughs> yeah. of your respondents are undergraduates from Harvard University yep. of a certain social class and you know income background, yep. you are going to be drawing conclusions that don't quite match what actually goes on in society.
1: Yeah, but I think, but I think this is generally the researchers are very well aware of this problem. It's invariably sure. the recipients or the readers yes. or the audience of that research, right? That yep. that you know is kind of like, well, it appeared in a study, it must be true. The algorithm <laughs> spat it out and it must be right.
0: I mean, you know, this, this goes to the broader problem in science reporting, where you have a lot of these, you know, science, science journalists reporting credulously on studies that, say, were performed on N equals 5, yep. on mice, and then, yep. you know, taken that and generalized into humans, which, yep. no, you know, so it's... it's but yeah, it's this this blind trust in automated systems to right. to approximate reality that that bugs me a lot. And in the case of testing, where you know a grade means a lot to a student in some yes. circumstances, right? Yeah. Um, it 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 can be especially affecting. But also, you know, as especially and on a wide scale, it can have significant consequences for just- underrepresented communities.
1: I just wanted to kind of dig into this a little bit because obviously the GCSEs are not the same as the Singaporean um A levels. No. Like yeah. they diverged at some point, you know. Um 20 last well, uh, years ago. to be fair, like the
0: SATs they are administered by a separate company, right? Yes. Cambridge Testing Services.
1: Yeah. But uh I'm I'm just curious about this because when I was in JC which is half a lifetime ago, um oh my for God, both of us. Yeah. Yes. Um bloody hell. We had we had um we had preliminary examinations, which are yes. It, you know, you do the whole rigmarole to. It's both psychological and academic preparation. Oh God! Right? And then uh, preparation
0: yeah. is 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 a is a is a strong word. <laughs> well, okay, it's a weak psychological word.
1: preparation. I mean, that is there is definitely conditioning, a conditioning. Not conditioning, maybe <laughs> conditioning. Yeah, okay, um, but then. For the students who are applying to universities that ask for predicted grades, there yep. is another round of predicted grades which have nothing to do or very little to do with your preliminary exams. Right. Like the predicted grade is based on your performance up to that point as your teachers yes. see it. Correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, like your teachers are not going to mark you down on account of this is a really good student but tests very poorly. Like no, right. they're just gonna be like this student is capable of an A and if they don't actually get an A, like that's an accident of the testing. Not Which I think the- is
0: what the 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 teachers in the UK used for the right? reported grades yeah. for this year.
1: Right? I think that's what they generally do for predicted grades. But in Singapore yes. because not everybody applies to UK universities UK universities are the ones that ask for the predicted for the predicted grades. Yeah, so the predicted yeah. grades are generated for students applying to UK universities. So that's the yeah. second set of grades. And then there is a third set of grades which are the actual grades. Yes. Right your actual A level grades. So here's yeah. my question. Okay? At my school um, for the for the arts students, right? Students studying the humanities, um we were actually told explicitly that from your preliminary exams to the the actual A-level exams, right? a conscientious student can expect to jump two grades per subject.
0: Bloody hell. Okay.
1: That if you get straight Cs at preliminary exams, you can expect straight A's. Wow. Or, okay. Maybe okay. we didn't say expect. Expect is a little presumptuous. <laughs> I think the idea was more along the lines of... Um, if you've worked hard enough to get C's at the preliminary exams and you continue Mm -hmm. working for six more weeks, you are on track to get A's, straight A's. Right. Okay. um, In the actual exam. And they also specified that this is, you can expect to jump about eight grades total. So if you have like, you know, A, B, C, E, for example, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You could still imagine getting straight A's. Um, It's just that assuming that the time that you would have spent on your A and B subject, you put it towards your, your E subject. Right, yes. And you could still kind of pull it back up. So I think this goes back to the standardized testing as a... Again, not that I agree with this, but the view that standardized testing is used as a benchmark, right, for... Variants between schools.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair because, enough. Because,
1: yeah, because this is a case where you're like, what? You got straight C's? That's awful. <laughs> you should not be going to university. Um, but I mean, my school culture was just, oh, you know, the first year you can get all E's, the second year you can get all C's. That's Mm -hmm. totally fine. It means that you're on track for straight (laughs) days.
0: Yep. yep,
1: When it counts, I mean, that's just the way it was, right? It's a, it's a, it's yeah, it's just the way that the school works, and it seems to have worked for for long enough. Um, But I think if such a school existed in the UK, it would be a total outlier.
0: It would be. It absolutely would be. Yeah.
1: Be yeah like, what do you mean you are predicting uh, a jump of 8 grades total for all your students I mean I, do, I actually don't also, think this is I don't think this is uncommon in Singapore I think we know many schools where they're extremely hard on the students in the preliminary yes. exams Yeah because no, that I'm, yeah I think the general consensus of, yeah. that the
0: preliminary exams are supposed to kill you I mean yeah. me- metaphorically uh, yes. it's supposed to you know be basically a preview of the worst case scenario Yes, at the A levels.
1: Yes, and I think I, I swear I think part of it is the schools don't want the students to get too complacent.
0: They really don't. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it. But you know, the, the the question then this this draws back to right is whether or not this you know standardized testing is an adequate. Benchmark or indicator, and, and you know, to be fair, right? If we consider the alternative, in the case of the A levels, which is basing students' uh, past before you know, basing everything on students' past performance as well, is that entirely infallible? Well, it's not infallible, but is that an adequate replacement as well? Yeah, right. It's a lot of work on the part of teacher. It's a lot of work on the part of normalization, as the algorithm has you know a lot of problems with the yeah. normalization that comes from algorithms. So is there even a happy medium between rigorous standardized testing versus, you know, self-reported uh, so this assessments?
1: Is, this is what I was thinking, which which you may find relates to your um, grading 103 undergraduates work <laughs> as well, which is for regular, you know, bi-weekly, weekly, you know, three times a semester kind of assessment, you should not be using a computerized proctor.
0: No, I I would go even further than that. Not only should you not be using a computerized proctor, you should not be using closed book, traditional assessments at all. Yes, right. I mean, number one, you know, there is no analog in society where you're forced to sit in a room (laughs) with no access to outside information and solve a problem. Every problem these days, you know, occurs in the context of Google, Stack Overflow, libraries, outside information. Right. The so, so I think the the broader thing, at least for non-standardized testing, we can leave if we leave that aside for the moment, right? For regular small-scale assessments, we need to rethink how we assess students in the first place. Yes. Multiple choice quizzes, you know, sure, but to to say to tell students that hey, you're not supposed to, or we need to, you know, I think more accurately, we need to reframe the parameters of cheating.
1: Yes, yes. Actually, okay. So this is kind of this is in the direction that I hoped the conversation would go because mm-hmm. when you are thinking about university classes where it is nearly impossible to to kind of like fake your way through it, right? Mm-hmm. You invariably think of upper level classes where your assessment is done by writing like three to five page essays or yep. it's a lab report, right? Or it's yep. a, you know, you are drawing up an experimental design, mm-hmm. right? Or you are presenting a project. You can't hide yeah. Because everybody can well, I say everybody, but really the, the graders can see very clearly whether or not you have understood the material and you are capable of delivering the, the project, right that's right. delivering yeah. the, the, the piece of work that's requested of you. That's right. Um, and I mean in a work context, that's also what it is, right? You present yeah. a report, you present a, you make a presentation, you make a proposal, and you don't there is no multiple choice piece of work that you submit in a in a professional setting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um
0: that is done and, without external input.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so I think the the real problem here is actually not a problem of assessment per se. It's a problem of assessment at scale.
0: Right. Okay. Be- yeah.
1: Because the the choke point is when you have to produce work that needs to be assessed by a human grader right you restrict the number of students who can be graded within a short span of time
0: but not only that it's also the other side of the scale is are you even is it even possible to rank everyone against each other on some kind of objective scale
1: right and i mean the the goal may not be to rank Everyone against each other. It in the case of the
0: you're... GC, GC it was, which yeah, is why the algorithm the... was so yes controversial. I mean, it was a yes. piece of shit basically. And
1: okay, so here's 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 another thing that oh man, when I think about it, it kind of makes me sad. So when when I was an undergrad, right, um, one summer we had like a, um, a Singaporean students dinner to kind of introduce you know the incoming freshmen who were going to. NYU and everything and that particular dinner I sat across from it was an interesting system actually they were like okay here are all the upperclassmen and here are all the freshmen and we have been given an extremely long table at Fish & Co (laughs) so all the upperclassmen will sit on one side and all the freshmen will sit on the other side of this extremely long table so every upperclassman is sitting across from a (laughs) freshman It like
0: a panel <laughs> interview. Oh my god!
1: <laughs> but I mean, you can see what the logic is because you know, right. otherwise, the come on, the upperclassmen are going to like cluster among themselves. Alternate, the are,
0: alternate. So at least one upperclassman is always sitting beside two underclass, uh, two freshmen, and vice versa.
1: Well, I mean, that was kind of the point. That was kind of the point. Right. Okay. So everybody is always sitting across from somebody that right. Fair um, Is new. Right. So the person I sat across from, he was a he was a scholar at a at a GLC, right? Basically, okay. yep. the Singapore government gives out lots and lots and lots of scholarships. And one of the conditions of these scholarships frequently is that the scholar has to maintain a GPA above a certain predetermined mark. Yes. This is often not calibrated for school. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, the the problem is it's the the reverse problem. It's because grade inflation is so rampant at the big schools Mm -hmm. and the smaller schools are much more strict with their grading. (laughs) The kids at the big schools tend to get away with a lot less.
1: Okay, so here is actually the problem. This particular freshman was actually facing the opposite problem. So his particular scholarship prescribed a GPA of, I think, 3.7 or 3.8.
0: Wow, okay, yeah. Okay.
1: And um, he was a Stern student at NYU. Mm. And Stern famously grades to a curve. Oh, yeesh. Where the mean is 3.3. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Oh, boy. And so he was saying, like, you know, uh, and he asked me because he found out that I was um, a, a Spanish major or about yep. to declare a spanish major at the time and he said he said um i actually really want to pick up a language when i'm in university but do they grade languages on a curve oh god and i was like um i can see why you ask that right you have been graded on a curve your whole life and you are about to continue to be graded on a curve but oh, it is incredibly stupid to grade language on a curve <laughs> yeah, no either, shit. You've either learned the, you either you've learned the material and you can speak the language, or you haven't.
0: It's a bimodal distribution,
1: right? Well, so,
0: not even, but you know, yeah. Or gamma function. You use a gamma function to approximate the. Uh...
1: So I was like, no, the the language classes are not graded on a curve. You either meet the standard or you don't. Oh my right? god! But, y- y- but I that, mean, that I mean.
0: Yep. To be fair, well, I, I wouldn't say that's a separate issue. It is another issue of assessment. You know, how, in yep. a sense, government scholarships with extremely rigorous GPA requirements disincentivize students from learning.
1: Yes. Yes. It makes absolutely
0: yep. no sense.
1: Yep. I mean, this is something that has been talked about before and discussed, and mm-hmm. probably we won't go into it in detail. This won't be the end of it as
0: well, so, you know. Yeah.
1: But I think when you think about grading, you kind of have to think about what the objective of it is. Right. right. I don't necessarily disagree with the idea that uh, a business school should grade to the curve, especially when it's a school that sends a lot of students to finance professions. Because finance I mean, I don't agree often... with the idea of business school in the first place. So. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's a whole different story. So, and I know all about your, the... your antipathy towards business schools. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in the case of finance careers, you are often working in a zero-sum context. Mm, you buy fair. a stock, right? the stock goes up, the person who sold that stock to you has just eaten a well, they've not eaten a loss per se, right? But yeah. There is an opportunity cost to them. Right? Yes. You short a stock. Somebody else has just gone long on that.
0: Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there yeah. is
1: there's there's, <laughs> it's there's much really more no way. Yeah. There's really no way to kind of get out of that. Um and you kind of have to get used to the idea that you cannot all win all the time, right? So I'm not necessarily opposed Gosh. to grading on a curve in that context, right? But, <laughs> but, but when you think about like the purpose of assessment, right? Um, what are you looking for? Yeah, because yeah, this is also what are you like, assessing in the first place, right? and and there is actually um i don't remember who it was who said this some guy we'll put it in the show notes um basically when you start measuring something as a proxy for the thing that you actually want to measure right you are going to you are going to incentivize people gaming the system
0: oh yeah no shit
1: yeah so if you are saying that, hey, we want to be more, you know, we want to be better as a, as a business, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. I'm running a business and uh, I've decided that my metric for growth will be, mm-hmm. um, you know, how many, um, like the retention rate of our existing customers, Yeah. right? And what is going to happen is you will see your whole company is going to orient themselves around keeping the customer even when the customer really doesn't want to be there.
0: Yes, correct. And yeah. that's
1: not good for anybody. But no, because that is what you have chosen to measure. That is going to be the measure that is met, and it's the same <laughs> thing with grades, right? Well, it's you the same measure- if, I
0: mean, at the moment you 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 turn something that's complex into a series of metrics, you yes. inevitably simplify it, and you create cases where people. I mean, look no further than academia, right? Not just yes. in you know in terms of students, but professors and how universities oh rank, God. university rankings, English or and publish or perish and you know how to get getting tenure in the first place right how yeah. why is it that people publish in predatory journals why yeah. have predatory open access journals have become such a big market it's because of this pressure to publish because if you don't publish you know i mean, put and, and this is how uh, a sense of how the inflation has 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 occurred over the last two decades right in the uh, four decades in the 80s you know you could get full tenure with you could get accepted as a as an assistant professor with a couple of articles mm-hmm. in, in, in the press, you know, maybe a book or a, a book deal that you're about, you know, you're about to write today, right, to even become an assistant professor, you need to have this whole package of publications, hopefully, maybe even a nature paper or a science paper, and, you know, basically, the right. requirements of getting into academia have spiked, right yep. partly because of competition but also because we've increasingly relied on metrics things like the h yep. index or you know your citation count uh, as yep. a way of judging people and it's such right. a terrible situation these days
1: yeah and it goes it, it appears at all levels of academia so you talk you talked about the h index but on the university level like universities care a lot about their the rankings their QS oh rankings God. their um ARWU rankings their US mm-hmm. news rankings and yep. and it's like they celebrate it as if it means something uh, but the yeah. problem with this is that it's one of those emperor's New Clothes kind of situations right like it means something because everybody believes it means something and
0: even even more than that as well you know it's well yeah I guess that, that 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 is much more fundamental but you know it's that so many universities game the system in so many different ways
1: yes roles. yes okay so there's actually this story that I read a while back I will have to go and dig it up but um it, this was in the context of law school rankings oh, um and law school rankings obviously is another very fiercely contested set of rankings and um I mean people talk about you know, uh, a top six law schools, top 14 law schools, top 20 law schools. And yep. the thing about it is that, you know, those rankings don't actually change. Like the top six doesn't change. The top 14 doesn't change. What changes is the relative positions, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then for every subsequent tier, so that, that's the tier one schools. Then below that, you have the tier two, tier three, tier four schools. Yeah. And very rarely does a school actually jump a tier. They just shuffle right. themselves within the tiers. <laughs> but sure. it's so fiercely competitive, right, that um, I think the New York Times did an article a while back, um, probably during, oh, actually, I don't remember. I I almost wanted to say probably during the last economic recession because that's when everybody was going back to school. But actually, I'm not sure Sure, about that. (laughs) So um, they were talking about how the law schools are kind of pressured to game the rankings because they see it as a feedback loop. Like, you cannot refuse to play the game. If it's a business model. It is part of the business model because your rankings slip, fewer people enroll, yeah, and they will be weaker students generally, which yeah. will cause your rankings to slip further. So, they are And all... then
0: employment also suffers because yes. a lot of employers look
1: at rankings. Correct. And so, all the schools are forced, right, and you can say forced or you can say heavily incentivized, both are true, Mm. right? Mm. To play this game. And you end up with stupid things like, I want to say one of the Washington area, like DC area universities, law schools, they were found, right? I mean, the New York Times kind of realized that what they were doing was um, just prior to the data collection for the US News law school rankings, they would, hire some of their alumni on contract.
0: Jeez. Right. Yes, and of course yeah. this would
1: spike their employment, employment. percentage just yep. in time for the data to be collected and then naturally yep. like three months or six months later all these grads are... Thank you for your are, time. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your time. Good luck on the job search. <laughs> yeah, So, yep. you know, and... Yep. Um, I forget which school it was but it was a pretty well-known university I think oh boy and so this is not a game that's being played among you, it's it's not necessarily a straggler trying to climb their way or like survive no. in a you know this this is being played by everybody
0: by the big players this is yep. by the top players they are also engaged yep. in this battle to to you know game the rankings it's
1: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's just very depressing when you think about it
1: <laughs> yep and I think um, going back to the issue of testing, right? And whether we, you know, how we should be doing, performing testing at scale. I mean, there is the question of like, what is the purpose of the test? And how do you design your test to reflect its real purpose? Yeah. Yep. Um, I think you'll find that when the test is conducted in a manner that allows for it to be marked at scale. The purpose of the test is in a fashion, right, that prevents as much as possible um, the possibility of cheating. Mm-hmm. I want to see if my students can have more or less understood the material in such a way that I can mark it as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah. it's uh, It really is that trade-off. But the problem is, you know, once you start, scaling things beyond a certain level say in in many cases beyond 15 students it's really hard to scale anything without diminishing the value of the test
1: I think you are seeing that problem marking 103 students work
0: essay questions no less
1: yes right because the more you have the less time the less opportunity as well for you to determine what it is the student has and hasn't understood
0: also the it's 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 the other part of the the feedback loop as well is that the less opportunity and time I have to provide students with actionable meaningful feedback yes I mean I tried for the first assignment to write a hundred and three individual pieces of feedback, and i you know I'm so behind on my work because of that yeah right so yeah. for subsequent assignments, I've just you know mass grade and then if they email me for questions, I will write feedback,
1: yeah. And I mean, that is often a survival mechanism for a lot of teachers. When I started teaching, yep. that was something that my, that my mentor told me as well. She said, you are going to burn out." Um, yeah. And the way to mitigate that, right? And I mean, bearing in mind, I did not have 103 students. <laughs> um, yeah. So the way to mitigate that is really you look for common problems. And you address those, and you really just have to accept that you cannot get everyone, you cannot get to everyone. Absolutely, and it sucks. But this is the reality of yeah.
0: On the flip side as well, it's, it's all well and good to say, oh, you know, fine, let's change our testing strategy to you know, incorporate creative assignments where you, know, you give them a problem, you, you write a bit of code to solve that problem, or you give an open-ended problem where it's mm-hmm. not Googleable, and then they have to go and synthesize bits of information. It's, it's all well and good to say that. And yes, I do think we need more of these kinds of assessments you know, at all levels of, 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 of testing. But the problem yeah. also is that increases your marking load it makes yes. it much more difficult to grade. Correct. Right? Especially if you're doing plagiarism checking for code. My God. Yep. You know, um, and and yeah. It, so it makes the process of assessment, in a sense, f- fairer for the student, but much more challenging for the
1: instructor. Yeah. And um, again, I I don't really see a clear way through this. I actually wonder if, you know, given the move... Okay, so part of the kind of mass standardized testing that we've seen, right? Um, the GCSEs, the GCEA levels, the, I mean, the SATs are largely um, automated except for the writing portion, I believe. Yeah. Um, yep. Same for the GRE, right? But if you think about the, you know, <laughs> my GCEA levels, right? Everything was an essay question. Yeah. I actually remember I calculated this um, I wrote 21 essays oh, for my G C A levels in the span of 20 hours.
0: There we go, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cumulatively, 21 essays over 20 hours. And Jeez. on the other end, somebody is reading 21 essays. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. And yes. grading those essays. So um, the, when you're dealing with, with scale, you always have this problem. But actually... Yeah. From an invigilation point of view the the scaling aspect of invigilation right of proctoring was having all the students in one room, yeah, right yeah in fact, this is one kind of downside with um teleproctoring <laughs> which is a proctor can watch much f- many fewer students at a yep. time, yeah, right, and I mean it's also arguable whether like what is the rate of cheating on an in-person exam? I mean, we, we probably yes. don't know, right? We actually have, very, we don't have stats on that really. So <laughs> it's, it's very hard to say whether one is better than the other in terms of preventing cheating. But um, what in-person proctoring allowed for was mass testing at scale with some measure of assurance that cheating is being minimized. And I think that's what yes. made it appealing for people who wanted to quickly assess a large group of students at once.
0: Right. Um, I mean, I, 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 okay, I know I'm going to be pilloried for this to some extent, but it seems mm-hmm. like the most immediate solution is those, but you know, expensive solution is smaller class sizes. The moment your assessment scales down, yep. right, assessing students fairly, but also the scale of having to grade assessments becomes a lot more manageable.
1: Yeah. Okay, so here's, this is my thought process, right? Like, that seems to be the most logical um, approach. And then you kind of come down to what is the purpose of Mm -hmm. education. And of course, that is a whole big philosophical debate. Yeah. Okay. But we can address, we can address like parts of it one at a time. Yes. For the big chunk of people for whom education is about getting the skills to get a job, Right when you go into a work context, how many people is your supervisor supervising at any given one time, or your manager managing at mm-hmm. any one time? It is not one hundred and three. It's
0: not one hundred and three for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, right. And so yep. maybe once, if the and goal I mean, is, if, okay, mm-hmm.
0: even in the even in the military right? Uh You have subdivisions, you have platoons that go into, you know, uh, whatever, units, platoons, battalions, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, make sure that at one point in time, one person is not directly responsible for an entire army.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, okay, the military is really a special case. And it is an edge
0: case, but even then, there is subdivision. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Because on a very practical level, right, um, in the military context, you understand that you're not going to get discipline without oversight. Yeah. <laughs> right? Without sufficient <laughs> oversight. <laughs> so, if the goal is job skills, right? Mm-hmm. Like, equipping the student with sufficient skills to go out and be a productive member of society in the economic context, right? And realizing that in the on the job, they are going to be supervised at a ratio of... One to five, one to eight <laughs> I yep. mean how many direct reports you know God. can one person really manage maybe what the solution is is really on the job training mm, right, right what it is is the you know the northern European style of um internships yeah okay and where... also
0: also you know of all the mm-hmm. shitty management practices that have been imported into universities, this is the one they
1: avoid. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right. And I mean, but come on, when you come down to it, okay, a professor has many students, many, many, many undergrad students, but how many graduate students does he have?
0: Mm. Yeah. Usually it's small, right? right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because that is the Uh, number that any one person can directly, reasonably, like mentor at any one time. That's right. Right? And so maybe, maybe this is part of the answer that for the students for whom, university is not about, you know, broadening your horizons, right? Deepening or broadening your foundations, deepening like uh, expertise or or whatever. Whatever like cliche you want to apply here. Maybe what it is, is let's just admit there is a large contingent of students who go to university because they need it to get a job. And they need mm-hmm. it to get a job because that's what employees want.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe everybody will be better served by saying it's not really a degree that you want. What is it? Like employers, yep. what are you looking for? Yeah. Right? If you're looking for someone who is hardworking, who, you know, can um, evaluate a problem and provide a solution, who can, you know, perform a particular task well, maybe what you really need is you just need to choose from a pool of high school graduates yep. and train them, Right and then they will be equipped to do exactly what it is you're looking for without Mm -hmm. having gone through this rigmarole of standardized testing that they may or may not have cheated on, (laughs) and they may or may not understand, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean the
0: whole apprenticeship thing is is I think something we should we should really consider. And to be fair, we yeah. do have something like that, right? We have the polytechnics, and not everyone from the polytechnic yeah. goes to
1: university. And I mean, here here's a here's something to note. So for the for the German, the I don't know about the Dutch. I'm much more familiar with like the German system. Mm-hmm. Right, apprenticeship doesn't mean you skip school. You you are no. in school two or three days a week, and then you are mm-hmm. at work the other couple of days a week. And the yeah. school is responsible for you. Picking up the theoretical um, frameworks that -hmm. you need at work. But Mm -hmm. the idea is that when you do both together, right, your employers, your um, bosses can see that your education is useful.
0: Yes. I mean, also, uh, this is just to provide additional context. NUS has implemented something very interestingly similar as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, instead of, you know, in the past, if you, if you did an honours year, you, you were expected to do a final year project. right? It's mm-hmm. a full year long project where you have to do research or produce some outcome. Uh, at least for some departments in the US, uh, they have allowed students to do alternatives to the FYP, the final year project. So I think one of them okay. is FYP by internship.
1: Right, right, right. So
0: instead of doing a final year project, you actually go and work for a, either a government agency or some kind of accredited company. Right. Uh, where, you know, and that is in lieu of a final year project, which I think is actually a good idea.
1: I think for some students who are who are not really um, considering a pure academic path, mm-hmm. that makes a lot more sense. Like if you're a social work student.
0: Absolutely. Come or on, if you're I mean, you know, a conservation practitioner, for example. Yeah, not all conservation practitioners right? are... In academia, right? Looking for and NGOs, I mean, I can, working for government agencies, policy for that matter. Yes, method.
1: yes. I mean, for policy, for example, I can understand that you know that might be a fifty-fifty case because mm. if you are working, say, at a, uh, or, or if your goal is to work at a think tank, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a it's it's quasi academic. Yeah, yeah, maybe your thesis would be just as helpful as an internship. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if your goal is you know i'm i i would like to work in the field i would like to work in something clinical mm-hmm. what is the difference between yep. writing a research thesis and doing an internship or an apprenticeship that's right i mean well i can tell you the difference one is a lot <laughs> more practical <laughs>
0: not absolutely fair yeah
1: right <sighs> and so i mean maybe it's... maybe that's just what we need to go towards because i i think in the context of you know, if we are really going to move to this system where a lot more learning is going to take place remotely, a lot more assessment has to take place remotely. Yes. And if there is this level of distrust about <laughs> whether a student is really learning, you're going to have to, at some point, accept that the only way out of it is is not closer control in terms of technology and algorithms and you know, like anti-cheating measures. Yeah, surveillance. <laughs> the only way out is closer supervision in the form of mentorship. Yes,
0: I right? mean this is a cliche by now, but you know, COVID has really exposed a lot of vulnerabilities in the existing yeah. systems that we have, and yes. this is one big one, right? This is it's, yeah. this is a, oh, I hate this word as a disruption. <laughs> of of existing norms right and yep. and we really should be using this time to think about how we can reform uh uh ways of teaching ways of assessment rather yep. than doubling down on the method and thinking of ways to force fit you know students yep. into the, the the prior paradigm
1: yeah and okay um we are running towards the one and a half hour mark and we really I, are. I can think of i can think of about like like 10 things that we could talk about. We could talk about um, your troubles with a virtual machine <laughs> oh or a class that's done a Okay, we can lab. do that next week.
0: We can do this next week. Right? This is a, um, I can rant that, on this for hours.
1: That actually came to mind because I was thinking about CS50. Mm-hmm. And the, the funny thing is, so I did not know this, but CS50 lectures traditionally are open to the public. Like you can just walk in. Yeah. Right, yeah. um, and now because of because of COVID, the people at CS Fifty have just said, "Well, since we can't do in person lectures where people can walk in, we are going to just stream our lecture, and everyone can just drop in." Sure. <laughs> um, so that's that's definitely one change, right? But yep. Yep. why I brought it up is because um, David Malan, the the mm-hmm. professor of CS Fifty, he's actually mm-hmm. written a paper about um, his experiences managing um cheating in cs50 so obviously this is a class that even in person it's like a few hundred people right how do you again is the question of grading at scale and how do you make sure that students are not blindly plagiarizing somebody else's work because Mm -hmm. i mean for computer science that's a that's a thing that is easy to do, right? You copy and paste and it works, yep. it passes. But at the same yep. time, it's also easy to to flag. Like, these two pieces of code mm-hmm. are absolutely identical. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, I mean, within... Right. Okay, well, within class cheating... So cheating between that's, people within the class is easy to detect, but cheating between the person in the class yes. and someone outside the class is much more challenging.
1: Correct. Correct. And so this one, this was kind of controversial, I think, when it came out. Um, but sometime in the I, I don't I don't remember what the time frame was, but a few years back I think um David Malin actually instituted um I don't remember what the policy is called. This is this is amazing preparation. Um but he basically said, Okay, we acknowledge that in a class this size and of this nature, it's impossible to hundred percent, right, fully prevent cheating or prevent no, plagiarism. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, instead, what he did was, he said, "There is, we are going to do a no questions asked um, policy where if you have cheated, but I think within like 48 hours or something, you mm-hmm. feel guilty about it, right? You can mm-hmm. inform us and instead of reporting you to Academic In- Integrity um, mm-hmm. Council, right? To be disciplined for a breach of academ- academic in- integrity, we will just zero out that grade, and mm-hmm. we will not discuss it anymore. Yeah, right. Or rather, we'll discuss it. We'll we'll do you know counseling. Why do you feel yeah. the need to cheat? And you know how can we help you and support you and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. But we won't think of it as you have done something terrible and you will be punished awfully for it. Because in a lot of schools, um, you know, academic dishonesty is. Often leads to expulsion, and I think that prevents yes. a lot of students from owning up. So his idea. Not just that; was, it, also,
0: it it also you yeah. know overlooks the variety of, of, of drivers that may lead the student to cheat. Yes. Student to cheat, and you know I think at this at least a very early stage, you know, not at the tenured professor level, but at least at the student yeah. level, it's important yeah. to understand what drivers students, you know, what drivers force yeah. students to cheat, and also how we can accommodate these circumstances better. Yeah.
1: So I actually thought that was an interesting policy. I, it's. If I remember correctly, um it actually didn't seem to have much effect. <laughs> oh really? A lot of a lot of the students who reported oh. that I may have done something that is could be academically dishonest. Um like after consultation with uh, with the instructors, it turns out the instructor said, no, actually that's fine. Like you <laughs> copied something from Stack Overflow, that's totally fine. <laughs> you, know, you know, kind of thing. Right? Or like you discussed this with your friend and your friend said, Hey, here's a bit of my code. That's yeah. fine. It wasn't I, I, the whole thing. I, I mean, you know, I can see the problem
0: because the students who are likely to self-report are the ones who are likely to already have very some of the Exactly.
1: exactly. <laughs> so it actually, um, I seem to recall, it wasn't actually that successful in terms of okay. like managing cheating and plagiarism. But it is mm-hmm. a question to kind of ask like, what are some alternative methods of managing a potential cheating situation or a potential right. plagiarism plagiarism. <laughs> We've been at this <laughs> for a bit situation. So. Yeah, so I I think I mean the again CS Fifty did it because they had to operate at such a massive scale. Yeah, um, that they didn't really have a choice. I think. Yeah, but I think it's probably worth asking now that everything has moved online and so many things have been upended the, what assumptions are we making that maybe need to be re-examined
0: and which is not to discount you know the importance of or, or the, 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 the problem of plagiarism right uh, yeah. or you know data fabrication or, or misconduct in academia in, in academia hmm. uh, Right, which is something we can talk about in... Subs- well, actually, no, let's not do that because that might be legally problematic. But there have been a few cases. In yep. fact, lately in, in uh, academia of uh, misconduct happening at fairly broad scales, there's one that's brewing right now. Well, it's not. Bre- it's been brewing over the last few months and it's still mm-hmm. ongoing, uh, the fallout of uh, academic dishonesty in Canada. I th- yeah. think
1: I know which one you're referring to, but I'm not exactly... Spider Gate?
0: Sure. Did I mention that in the past episode? Yes,
1: you mentioned okay. Spider Gate, although I don't remember whether you mentioned it to me or I think right. we mentioned it in the past episode. Yeah.
0: I think we did. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it, it, which is not to downplay the importance and the, the, the you know, significance of these situations. But no, I agree. At least at the assessment level, right? At the level of teaching, yeah. we need to think about number one, what constitutes ch- cheating. And number two, how can we make assessment, in a sense, robust to cheating, even? Is that going too far?
1: I mean, I think that's a goal that <laughs> right. may never be achieved, but it <laughs> doesn't mean that, you know, we shouldn't edge closer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Which I think is a nice place to round off.
1: Yep. Okay. So this is Monkey Mind, and the show notes for this episode can be found at monkeymind.xyz slash 011. Um Yeah, and I guess we will see you... I don't know when. I mean, I don't want to make any promises anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Whenever we feel like it.
1: Sometime soon, I guess. Yes. Okay, yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Ciao.